Well, good morning. And again, happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there. Um, it's a privilege to be able to share with fathers this morning. Uh, I've been a father for 46 years. And um, I've never given a Father's Day message, so um, I hope to... My goal today is to encourage fathers. And uh, especially, I think that fathers who've been fathers for any length of time will already have learned some of these lessons that I'm going to bring out today. But young men who are uh, just uh, have small children or are not yet fathers, but hope to be soon, or young men who aren't even married yet, uh, but hope to be someday, I hope to communicate to you some things that I've learned as a father over uh, 46 years. And um, my, the real goal here is to encourage dads, and, and I'll ask for some, some uh, confirmation of this, we have a lot of pressure on us in, in our lives. Anybody agree with that? A lot of pressure. You've got a lot of responsibility on your shoulders. And, um, you know, there's just... Uh, I, I'll never forget the first... When I... Um, Christy and I had been married 23 years and we bought our first house. And I thought to myself, I've got to make this level of money for the next 30 years. And it was just a daunting, overwhelming feeling at the time. I just remember that feeling like, how am I going to ever do this? And obviously the Lord has provided, and God is faithful to provide. But just living in this world and having to deal with all that's in this world, and you know the pressure of being a father, the pressure of being a husband, the pressure of having to provide, it's not bad, it's good, but there's pressure. But the one thing we don't want to do is take on pressures that we shouldn't bear. And sometimes we do that. And I think that uh, even mature, older fathers can take on responsibilities that aren't theirs. You know, we're, we're kind of, sometimes we get out of our lane in the Lord. And we try to start doing things that are really God's, only God's realm and responsibility as fathers. And um, that has to do with the realm of the heart of your children. And we as fathers are called to influence the hearts of our children. But we cannot change them. Do you get what I'm saying? We cannot be the ones to open their eyes. We cannot be the ones to direct their hearts to Him. We cannot be the ones that make our children see the things they need to see. It's very similar in a lot of ways to, uh, to trying to teach somebody about chocolate. If they've never tasted chocolate, you can describe it until your face is blue, but until they taste it, they'll never know it. And until the Lord opens our children's eyes and they taste the goodness of the Lord, they'll never know it to the degree that we do. I wish I could instill my call upon my children. Any fathers ever feel that way? What you know in your heart and the surety that you have in your heart, you want to instill that in your kids, but you can't do that. Only God can and so what I want to do today is show that I want to encourage fathers in this, in this way. I've been a father, like I said, for 46 years. Not all of my children are walking with the Lord. I have seven. And not all of them are walking with the Lord. So does that make me a bad father? No. That's the area that I cannot effect I cannot change their hearts toward. Only God can. So, and as we look in Scripture, we see, as you look through the kings of Israel, for example, there were good kings who ended up with offspring who followed in their footsteps who were bad kings, right? And then when there were bad kings who, they had offspring who followed in their footsteps and were good kings, there were actually fewer good kings than there were bad. There were lots of bad. But the point is, is that 
what I'm not trying to share today, some fatalistic mindset that oh, if, if it's all up to God, then it doesn't matter what I do. No. We have responsibilities as fathers, and we're held accountable to those responsibilities. But we cannot carry the weight of the transformation of the hearts of our children on our shoulders. That's God's duty. And the one thing that the Lord has, has shown me lately um, that I, 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 he's basically reaffirmed to me, Jerry, get out of my way. And you trust me. Your job is to pray. But my job is to influence the heart. And so today what I want to do is just, I want to share one example from Scripture of a situation where um, the, the offspring was raised by a not-so-great person, but the Lord used, and His hand was upon that person. And that has to do with the story of Samuel. So um, let me give you a little bit of backstory here. Uh, you remember the story of Hannah. Hannah was the the wife of Elkanah, and Elkanah had two wives, uh, Panina and Hannah. Now Panina had children, and Hannah did not. And every year, uh, Elkanah would take his family and they would go up to the uh, to Jerusalem and they would make sacrifice every year and as they would go up Panina would ta- torment Hannah because Panina had children and Hannah did not and it tormented her she wanted children and she did not have children and this went on year after year after year and one year Hannah had just had enough and she went to the temple and she prayed deeply to the Lord and she cried out to the Lord and here in verse 11 she says First Samuel 1.11 says and she vowed a vow and said O oh oh Lord of hosts if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant but will give to your servant a son then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And now Eli was sitting at the, says at the pillar uh, of the temple and he saw her praying. And he saw her lips moving, but there was, he didn't hear any words. So she was praying quietly, but she was mouthing the words to the Lord. Uh, anybody ever guilty of that? <laughs> yeah. And um, he looked at her and he thought she was drunk. And he, he says to her, you know, why are you woman? He says, give up the drink, you know, basically knock it off. And she goes, she goes, that's not what I'm doing. She said, I'm crying. I'm pouring my soul out to the Lord. I'm crying out to him and bearing my soul to him and making a request of him. And, um, and, uh, Eli says to her in verse 17 he says then Eli answered go in peace the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him so Eli didn't even know what she was praying but he's just saying may God grant your petition and then it says in verse 20 uh, of First Samuel 1 and in due time Hannah conceived and bore a son and she called him Samuel for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Now, as I put a note there, Samuel, actually in the way they pronounce it, is Shmuel. And uh, it sounds like heard of God. In other words, God heard her, her cry. And God gave her Samuel. And so... Um, the Lord gave her Samuel, and he was uh, born, and she cared for him, and she uh, was raising him, and it was time to go up, back up to the temple, and uh, 
Elkanah was, you know, told her to come along, and she said, no, I'm going to stay back. I'm going to wait until the child is weaned before I go up to make sacrifice. And um, so she stayed back until he was weaned, and I put a little uh, joke there for myself. is like probably the longest weaning process ever because she wanted to hold on to this child, but she had promised that she would give this child to the Lord. So... Uh, we don't really know exactly how old he was, but the guess is, is somewhere around three or four, maybe five uh, years old when she finally did end up taking uh, Samuel up. And um, so uh, in verse 25, it says that they s- slaughtered the bull. This is when she finally did go up. And they brought the child to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence praying to the Lord for this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. Now, how many here, when you had children, those who do have children, dedicated your children to the Lord? All of us did. And yet, there are times when we take back that responsibility of their souls. And we try to carry that burden for ourselves. And the Lord wants us to realize, that's my job. You pray. You do your job as far as training them and teaching them and encouraging them. And and teach them my word. But the side, the aspect that we cannot change is their heart. And we've all seen that as parents. But those who are uh, not yet parents need to learn this. And as it is in verse uh, uh, chapter 319, it says, Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. So who, who caused this to happen, the Lord being with Samuel? It was the Lord. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, Eli, for sure. And it wasn't Hannah. Her heart was to pray and ask the Lord for a child, and it was the Lord who granted her the child. And so the Lord had a plan for this child. And the same with all of us, you know, the Lord has plans for our children that He doesn't divulge those to us necessarily. And most of the time we don't know what is going to become of our children, where they're going to serve Him, or whether they're going to serve Him at all. But. This is, this is what she did. She dedicated him to the Lord, and the Lord was with him. And it says, and, the, and let the, none of his words fall to the ground. In other words, the things that he said were going to be used by the Lord and from the Lord. Now, here's the deal. Eli wasn't such a great father. He had two sons, uh, Hophni and uh, Phineas. And this is not Phineas from Phineas and Ferv. This is Phineas and Hophni, another famous uh, duo, who his sons weren't so great of sons. These guys were uh, evil sons, as a matter of fact. And um, they would do things like, they would take the choicest portion of the sacrifice, which belonged to the Lord, they took it for themselves. And, and they did other things like sleeping with the women that served in the temple, uh, and Eli, as a father, he, he, you know, he's kind of like, hey guys, stop that. And that was it. Now, think of entrusting, how many here have trouble finding a babysitter that you trust? <laughs> you know, I mean, and yet, yet here, Hannah turns over Samuel to Eli, who wasn't known to be a great father. So she's entrusting Samuel to whom? To the Lord. And here Eli is this father who has these sons who are worthless and raising Eli. I mean, raising Samuel. And and it says here, Eli was very old and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing in Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Next slide. The Lord sent a man of God to him and told him he was going to judge him. And it says, On the day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning 
his house from beginning to end. And it says this, I will declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew about because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. So here's something that you're going to learn as a father. You cannot stop your children from doing stupid things sometimes, but you have to deal with it properly when they do. Amen? It's, God will hold you responsible for not for what they've done necessarily, but for how you handle what they've done. And we're to handle things according to God's word. But um, in this case, Eli did not. He wasn't a good father. I don't know how he was as a priest, but as far as being a father, he wasn't so hot. And yet, here Hannah hands over Samuel and has Eli raise him. And yet the Lord was upon and the Lord was with Samuel. So the point that I'm making here is that although Samuel was raised by Eli, he was a horrible father and he refused to restrain his sons. Yet God's hand was upon him, upon Samuel. And it says that she, you know, Hannah lent him to the Lord. Now, we kind of look at it the opposite in a sense. Typically, we see the Lord lending his children to us to parent them, right? Well, in this case, she's lending the child back to God because she didn't raise him. She got to see him once a year when she would take him, she would sew him a new robe. And every year when she went up to the temple to sacrifice, she gave him a, a, a new robe because he grew. And so every time, every year, he got a new robe. And that was the only time she saw him once a year. So how much influence did Hannah have in Samuel's life? Not, and, and how much influence did Elkanah have in, in Samuel's life? None. But Eli, a not-so-great father, is the one who raised him. And yet the Lord was with Samuel. My point being, uh, you may be a godly parent, but your children may not walk with the Lord. You may be an ungodly parent, and many of us came out of that, I came out of that, and yet the Lord calls you and draws you. So it, it's just, it, it's, it's a burden that you shouldn't carry in the sense of the salvation of your children and the heart change of your children is up to God. And sometimes it takes a long time of praying and waiting upon the Lord. So... Um, and here's another scripture that I think is really important for us to remember. It says in Hebrews 12, 10, uh, and I'm just jumping in here at part of it. It says, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. Now, it says, but he, now there's a contrast, but he, he being the Lord, disciplines us for our good. That way, <clears throat> that we may share in his holiness. So, when we discipline our children as fathers, as earthly fathers, we don't see the perspective that God does necessarily, always. There's times when we discipline for our own goals and our own intents. Um, but we do what we believe best for our children. But God knows the big picture and the long-term goal that he has for our children and he disciplines them better, I would say, than, than we do. But the point is, is that we do our best as fathers. So the point here is, is we're, I'm not trying to excuse fathers from doing your job to father, to parent, to correct, to teach, to instruct, to guide, and aim your children in the direction that the Lord has for them. But ultimately, who's the one who does the work? It's the Lord. And so... Um, that's a that's a, a, an example from scripture. I want to share a little bit of my own background because I I, I um, uh, I'm just I'm giving you my, my heritage here. My grandfather, whose name was Oren Kenneth Hammersley, uh, was an alcoholic, a godless man. He was a, a logger. He was a truck a logging truck driver most of the time that I knew him. I only saw my grandfather twice in my life, and he had nine children, five daughters and four sons. My dad was the oldest of the sons, and um, I'll give you a little, just an example of, of uh, the quality of my grandfather. 
there was a time, for, I don't know what prompted this, but there was a time when he was so fed up with his kids, he had them all get outside. They lived in a trailer, so nine kids in a trailer. I don't care how big the trailer is. That's not, that's not a good scenario, right? He lined them all up in front of the trailer, and he had his rifle. He was going to kill them. Thank you, Grandpa. And uh, my, dad's like, my dad was like, I remember my dad telling me this story. He says, I told him, go for it. Shoot, hit, kill me, you know. And so that was my, my father's relationship with his dad. And uh, my father ran away when he was 14 years old. And he came down. From, my grandfather always lived up in Northern California in weird places like Hoopaw and Hay Fork and Wairika or Eureka. And um, those are the places that I'd never been to in my life. But anyway, that's where my dad came from. My dad came down here at 14 years old, and he lived with uh, different places. But at one point, he was living with a band member from the Lawrence Welk Band. Anybody know who Lawrence Welk is? <laughs> All of us older people do. Okay, there was a, a TV here that had a variety show where they did just song and dance and stuff like that. And he was the guy with the bubbles, remember? So he ran away when he was 14. My dad was a tough guy. My dad was about five foot eight and five eighths. He always had to throw in. But he was built kind of like a fire plug, they call him. He was, in other words, he was stout. My dad at one point was so muscle bound he couldn't comb his own hair. My mom had to comb his hair for him because he, his arms were so big he couldn't get his arms up and comb his hair. He was a fighter, he was a brawler, he was an alcoholic, he was a drunk, and um, he was a tough guy, and he tried to make, I have a brother who's just a year older than me, 19 months older than me, his name's Brad, and the only way I can describe my brother Brad is that he and I are like, came from different worlds. Uh, There was a man in our church that used to work with my brother, the Vandrishes. Ken Vendrish used to work with my brother. My brother was in the asphalt business. He got into the asphalt business because my dad was in the asphalt business. Well, Ken, Ken Vendrish worked with my brother, and he goes, Jerry, there's only one way to describe your brother. He's a caveman. I mean, my brother, he talks to you. He calls me up and says, hey, how you doing? That's how my brother talks. He sounds like a caveman. And my dad tried to turn us into these tough guys like my dad was. And I'll, I'll never forget, my dad used to always do things like um, pinch my leg and squeeze really hard, just, you know, kind of like showing his affection. <laughs> or I remember, I, I don't know how long this went on, but as a little kid, when we were sitting at the dinner table, if my dad walked behind me, I got shivers down my spine every time. Because he used to walk by and pinch my ear and twist my ear or pull my hair or squeeze my shoulder. And so I got shivers every time he'd walk by me. Um, so we had a really good relationship. No. Um, he was an unfair disciplinarian. Uh, I remember, I'll never forget one time my brother did something. And I don't know what it was that he did, but my dad was ticked off at him. So he takes an electric cord, doubles it up, and hits me on the back of my leg and tells my brother, that's what you're going to get if you do that again. Like, okay. Thanks, Dad. Uh, My dad was a hypocrite in the sense that my dad used to smoke and drink all the time. Smoke and drink. And um, one time, we used to live in Santa Paula and we were surrounded by orange orchards. So as young kids, I was a follower. My brother was the leader and my brother got into smoking. And so we would go out into the orange orchard, steal cigarettes from my dad, Salem, menthol, yuck, and go out into the, into the orange orchards and smoke. And my sister saw us one time and ratted on us. My sister's seven years younger than us. And she saw us and she ratted on us. So I remember coming down the, the street, the, the sidewalk, and I see my dad standing in the driveway, and he's like, <sighs> waiting for us to come in. And he's smoking a cigarette. And he asked us, what are you guys up there smoking? And, you know, of course, what are we going to say? You know, no. Well, then, oh, I remember I was, we walked into the house, and my dad picked me up literally off my feet and slammed me into the wall I thought I literally like just buried into the wall and um, that was kind of like my dad's method of of discipline was um, he would punch us 
he would he would uh, you know do all kinds of less than what you would call godly uh, discipline. Next slide. Um, I started I started drinking and smoking when I was uh, I started smoking at eleven and drinking when I was thirteen. Following my brother, my brother was the one who who was the the lead, and he got me involved so that I wouldn't rat on him. So um, I was really you know like just a follower. But I, I, I sought, actually, my brother's approval more than my father's. And um, my mom and dad split up more times than I can count. I was, I was, because of that, I was basically a really insecure kid because they, they split up all the time. And finally divorced after 25 years of marriage. Then my dad ended up remarrying. Both of them remarried. Um, my dad ended up... His wife died, that he remarried, and then he married another woman. But um, it was a, he, he even admitted to me later it was a big mistake. But God was after my dad all his life, and I saw the hand of the Lord reaching out to my dad. And I'm hoping that at the end he did come to know the Lord. Uh, he, he, he would talk about the Lord, but it was always like, you know, the big guy upstairs kind of relationship. And... Um, so, but this is what I came out of. And then, you know, my brother, like I said, w- was a bad influence on both my, myself and my sister. My brother told my little sister, well, Jerry's, I was always kind of inclined towards the Lord. So my brother told her, Jerry's taught you about God. I'm going to teach you the other side. And he got her into drugs and alcohol. And it messed her up for a long time. And um, so... Um, the bottom line is summing up my background is I came from a really messed up family. Uh, my father was uh, you know, angry alcoholic. And uh, the other thing that happened in our family is that my brother hated me. My brother and I did not have a healthy relationship. I see like Sam and, and, and uh, Ethan and I, I, I love how you guys interact. And I appreciate that because that's something I never, ever had. My brother, I remember at one point he said to me, Jerry, I don't know why I've always been so mean to you. But it's kind of like a, you know, just the way it was. He just never accepted me as his brother. But God got a hold of me when I was 16 years old, and he changed everything. And he, he broke the cycle of alcoholism and and drinking. I, last time I was intoxicated was when I was 15 years old, which is obviously not the legal age for doing any of that stuff. But uh, you know, uh, this is what we did when you lived in a small town, and you got I got sucked in by my brother. But I'm grateful to the Lord that He brought me out of it, and uh, He's the one. Like I said, I was saved at uh, I believe it was uh, my. It seemed like my salvation was kind of a progressive to a certain degree but the thing that really was the kicker and the final um, I believe event was when I went to Grace Community Church one time and Josh McDowell was preaching and he was sharing uh, you know proving that Jesus is God proving that he was the Messiah and I I left that that sermon and I'm like this is it I'm following Jesus the rest of my life and so you can see, I mean, you come from a messed up family, and many of us have. God still is the one who is in charge of our hearts. And so just know that for your children. God is in charge of uh, their hearts. And I'm giving a little bit of background uh, after this. You know, just Christy and I, I'm named after Christy's dad. Her, her, her dad's name was Jerry. My dad and her dad were best friends. And they went to school together, starting from junior high to high school. And so he thought Chrissy's dad's real name was Gerald. So my real name is Gerald with a G. But then he found out that his real name is Jerry with a J. So I've been Jerry with a J all my life. So people get confused with that. Are you Jerry with a G? No, I'm Jerry with a J. 
Uh, we got, as Tim kind of went over the church history, we got involved. George Taggart was the one who was in, uh, the leader of Word of Life Ministry. Well, I met George Taggart's brother-in-law, Brian Rooney, because Brian Rooney was married to George's sister, Elizabeth, or Liz. And so that began our journey. Um, I was never raised Catholic, but we ended up, Christy and I ended up in a Catholic charismatic prayer meeting when the whole charismatic movement was happening in the 70s. And, um, but the Lord used that in our lives to draw us in deeper and deeper to him. We was going to Bible studies at the Spangler's house. Uh, do you, Francis, were you guys, did you go there? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's where we started Santa Susana School. Um, George had early on asked me to be an elder. And then after the church um, the divide that, that Tim shared about where George left and Tim be, took over being pastor, um, I was asked to be an elder by Tim at some point. Um, so I'm a father of seven children. My oldest is 46. Uh, and you can see the ages there. And, and this, is, this is things that, that you just aren't proud of as a parent, but it happens. Three of my sons were involved somehow with the law at one point or another. One son was caught shoplifting. I think he stole a pack of gum or something stupid. And he ended up, the police came, they called the police, and he ended up having, you know, like an interaction with the police. And, and uh, then one of my sons um, decided that he was going to try marijuana, and he smoked marijuana. He was like 19, 18, 19, or something like that. And he was walking along the street, intoxicated, and the police pulled him over because they thought he was a suspect of a crime, and they realized that it wasn't him. But Christy and I were driving by, and we see this guy laying in the gutter with the police with his arms behind his back. Come to find out later, that was our son. We just drove past. <laughs> Things to be proud of as a parent, right? And then one of my sons ended up being um, arrested for a DUI and um, ended up spending the night in jail. So these are things that, you know, happen. Uh, my oldest son, when he was 16 years old, told me I was the worst father ever. And um, subsequently, when he was in his 20s, invited me to lunch. And this is after I asked him to move out because of the lifestyle he was living. Later on after that, he invited me to lunch and told me, Dad, you, you and Mom did a great job of raising me and my brothers. So it was, it was, there are times when your children will hate you because you're doing the right thing. And there are times whenever they will be mad at you. And there are times when they won't appreciate what you're doing. But then, thank God, in this case, he came back to me and, and told me, you know, thank you for being the way you are. And this is the son who has lavished me over the years with gifts since that point, to the point of even giving me what was probably the greatest gift I'd ever received in my life, was 2006 Harley-Davidson um, Road King Classic. And I think David's seen it. It was beautiful. And I enjoyed it for the time that the Lord had me enjoy it, and then I gave it back to him after like five years. Uh, one of my sons stole my car in the middle of the night, went out to uh, meet up with his girlfriend. Uh, next slide. Uh, after the whole church thing happened, my oldest son stopped going to church. He basically used that as his out to say, uh, it's full of hypocrites. And, you know, it's just where his heart was at the time. He, you know, we had taken all of our sons went to church with us every Sunday. And they went to Bible study with us. But that doesn't mean that, you know, you can park a car. Just standing in a, in a garage doesn't make you a car, you know. So being in a church doesn't make you a Christian. And um, uh, my second oldest son, a lot of you know Jacob. Uh, he is a, a believer. He has committed his life to the Lord. And... and he is married to a Christian woman, and he has a son who just recently was baptized, Joshua, who was, I think he's 12, 12 years old. And um, so uh, he is one son who is walking with the Lord. Uh, you all know my other son who um, has kind of 
been wayward since his loss of his daughter and he's still kind of making his way back he says I believe but I just can't can't bring myself to church yet uh, my youngest son has rejected the Lord completely at this point and one son uh, is, is, is in a cult and he was he was deceived and and brought under uh, by a man who was in our church Chatsworth Christian Church at the time and um, he was the youth leader but he was a wolf in sheep's clothing and now he's chosen to to uh, they actually live in a cult they've all changed their last names there's four people that are not related that are in in the group and they all changed their to have the same last name it's just weird and we haven't seen him for 16 years so these are things that as parents you don't have control over he was he was when he was with us he was the most compliant the most obedient the most loving to his mother and brother and loved the Lord got up and read his Bible every morning and then at 21 20 years old something like that he just kind of veered off so here's some big picture things that um, that I want to share and if uh, you'll endure uh, with me uh, this is what I'm I've seen and learned okay obviously your children belong to the Lord and he cares for them and loves them more than, than you ever will and um, he watches over them he's sovereign and he will get them where he wants them to be your job is to parent them and do your best and but there's no such thing as a perfect parent as we've all uh, experienced at this point and um, Christian parents do not necessarily produce Christian children anybody come to that conclusion in your life you know it's just one of those things it's like you you cannot change the heart of your child um, I would these are some things that I think are really important homeschool your children or put them in a private school the Lord convicted Christy and I with Jeremy our oldest he was uh, we were here living in Simi Valley and he was going to a, a grammar school that was across the street from us which was very convenient because he could just walk there but what we saw coming out of him this was a lot of years ago but what we saw and what he was telling us what he witnessed in school when he was there was children standing toe to toe with the teacher you know just being disrespectful and saying, go ahead, send me to the principal. I don't care. You, don't, you can't touch me with that kind of attitude. So the Lord really convicted me. I needed to put my children into a private school because homeschooling wasn't even a thing at the time. And um, so we, it was $500 outside of our budget. And we didn't have the money. And, but I felt the Lord speak to me, telling me, do it. So we made the commitment, and we did it, and the money was there. And I can't even tell you exactly how, but when you obey the Lord, I know this, is that when He initiates something, He will provide. If He calls you to do something, He'll provide. It's not, well, you know, like some people will say, well, if I had enough money, I would do so-and-so. No, if the Lord's calling you to do it, you do it, the money will be there. Obedience first. Um, so God will provide um, I think go back one yeah okay this is probably sounds I don't know for some of you it may be um, common but for us it was a big deal we raised seven children in California on one income and no debt for all, the only time we ever borrowed money, we borrowed three hundred dollars, I think, from her, her father to buy a refrigerator that ours blew up as soon as we moved into our apartment, and um, we paid it back. Um, so God will provide. Uh, you just have to trust Him. And um, like I said, when I started in my career, I went to college and I became a respiratory therapist. Right, that was my career. And um, 
my starting wage as a respiratory therapist in my illustrious career was $5.65 an hour <laughs> in 1977. I mean, today that's, you know, ridiculous to think of. <laughs> but the Lord provided. And one thing we learned is that um, you will go without and you may not have all the things. Christy and I constantly were... Um, struggled with the idea or the fact that many of our fellow Christians around us were all buying homes and buying cars and this and that and we just couldn't do it. We had to wait. We didn't buy a house until we'd been married 23 years. In our first car we had been married 21 years before we ever bought a new car. So you just have to wait for certain things. Um, But on that same one income we were able to adopt our beautiful daughters from China. And that's not cheap. And yet God provided. And I've told the story once, but I'll tell it again, uh, that one of the ways that he, when we were adopting Emily, which was our first, uh, we, weren't, we were petitioning the Lord and we were praying and we felt that the Lord was leading us to go in that direction. So we started moving in that direction to adopt. And, but <clears throat> we had asked the Lord, specifically to bring money into our income that was beyond our normal uh, revenue stream. And uh, unbeknownst to me, Christy was praying for a specific amount. And I remember I was up in the desert helping Jim Stewart, remember Jim Stewart, move. And um, she called me to tell me that her her, uh, aunt had uh, asked her and her brother to meet at our house and she had something for them and she sat them down and she handed them an envelope each of the three of them and when they opened it she said this is your inheritance from your grandmother who died eight years ago and she had held it all that time and she gave it to and it was the exact amount Christy had been praying for for the adoption it was five thousand dollars and the Lord the the Lord is, is awesome that way and like I said if he calls you to do something, that doesn't mean you wait until you have the money to do it. It means you obey the Lord and he will provide the money as he, as he leads you. Um, so, and I have a scripture here for Thessalonians 5.24 that he who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. Um, so, here's some key things that that I think are on the next slide that we need to as fathers remember your main priority as a father is to be where God wants you to be you need to you need to know where God wants you to be in your service to him and I believe I'm personally of the mindset that God is very specific he's church specific do you know what I'm saying by that not any church that is like kind of within your denomination. I believe he's very church specific. And so you need to be praying and seeking and obviously those that are here are here because you believe God's called you here. But if you know where God's called you to be, then he will provide around that. So if he expands your family, he will provide the means and if you need a different job he will provide that if you need more money he will provide it obey the Lord in doing the things that you're supposed to do with your assignment he'll provide the living space like I said Christy and I waited 23 years to be able to buy a house but we were fellowshipping where God told us to fellowship and um, one time we were we were renting in Simi and um, Christy's dad remarried a woman who lived in West Hills. And she had a house there. It was a 1,700-square-foot, four-bedroom house uh, in West Hills, right behind the Fallbrook Mall. And it was a really nice house. And they, before they were remarried, they were living together, and they asked us if we wanted to rent the house. And we said, no, not under those circumstances, because what if your relationship sours and now we're in this awkward position? And then, but I remember sitting in that house at a meal, and the Lord spoke to me and said, You're going to live in this house. And knowing that, 
after, and, and then turning it down when they asked us if we wanted to move in, and they were only going to charge us 950 a month rent. But later, after they married, the opportunity came up again, and that's where we ended up moving into, and we rented that house for 10 years. And that's what made it possible for us to, to purchase, finally save up enough to purchase our first house. So if you make your priority obeying the Lord and doing what he's called you to do, he will make provision for you. Um, another thing on the next slide, pray for your children. Every day with your wife, pray together. And pray specifically. Ask the Lord to give you direction as to how to aim. You know, the, the scripture talks about our children being arrows, right? The, we need to ask the Lord to show us which way to direct those arrows. And they're His. And so we need to um, ask the Lord uh, and pray for them specifically. And Christy and I have seen the Lord do amazing things through us praying together. And the Lord honors that. Um, don't show favoritism. Uh, my dad favored my brother over me all our lives. And it's kind of like the Jacob and Esau thing where uh, Isaac favored Jacob and, I mean, Esau and, uh, and his wife favored um, Jacob. Uh, as best you can, as, as you know, possible through the Spirit of God working in you, don't show favoritism towards your children. And don't compare your children. How come you can't be like your brother? How come you can't be like your sister? Don't do that. Each one is individual. Uh, don't be surprised, though, if one of your children relates better to one, uh, one parent or the other. That's just kind of like a natural thing, it seems. That's, I, don't think that, I don't see that as a bad thing. I just see don't allow the child that doesn't relate to the other parent disrespect them and dishonor them. Do you know what I'm saying? They may have a different connection, but don't allow them to dishonor them. But don't be surprised if they feel more connected to one. Uh, every child is different, and you need, if you go to the next slide, uh, is different. So when you're dealing and interacting with them, you can't use the rubber stamp cookie cutter method in dealing with your children, which anybody who's got more than one child will um, know it. If they don't know it already, they will learn it fast. Uh, there's no such thing as one size fits all in dealing with your children. Um, you want to learn how to love them in a manner that reaches their heart. Now, obviously, there's some things that are going to be um, the same throughout, but there are also things that can speak to your child that tells them that you love them. Um, and I put love language, I, you know, there's, there's a book out called Love Language. I think that we, we can do that without obviously compromising uh, and following the world's wisdom. Um, and here's another one. Some people say, you know, I don't think I could ever love an adopted child like I love my own biological. Uh, that's just not true. God's love is, is great. And, you know, I, I, can't, I can't imagine not loving Emily and Lily like I do my other kids. You know, they're just like, they're, they're ours. And though God, is, his heart is very big in that respect. Uh, focus on their heart, not their outward behavior. This was one of my biggest uh, failures, I think, as a father, because I was an elder, like whenever we first started at Santa Susana, I'll never forget, um, my, my sons were outside, because it was a schoolyard, and they, were, they had tetherballs, and my one son wrapped my other son's arm up in the tetherball thing and sent it down on the ball and just really hurt his brother's hand. So the oldest one did this to the younger one, and the younger one just went off and wailed on his brother. This was just before church. And here I am, you know, like, I'm, I'm, thinking, I'm supposed to be one of the elders of the church, you know, example in the church, and my kids are outside fighting, you know. Um, but I was too focused on the outward behavior and not enough on the relational heart issues with our kids. And um, if I could go back and, and change that, that would be the one thing that I would do, would be to be more, um, just have a relationship with my sons better than, and I think that and the girls will, they can tell you whether I'm doing a good job or not, but I'm trying to be more relational with them and, uh, you know, 
So you, you get better as you, Emily says this, she's, she doesn't use this analogy, but she says kind of like wine where you get, it gets better as it gets older. You know, well, she goes, I think we're getting the better part of your parenting. <laughs> Uh, don't, don't be too hard on your kids. Remember, like God says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And mercy triumphs over judgment. Let your children fail. And uh, don't try to um, uh, ease that. At times, it's sometimes they need to learn by mistakes. And sometimes we can get in the way by trying to help them do things that they need to do themselves. And so just allow them to, to fail. Uh, I've been guilty of this. Uh, Listen to your children before jumping to conclusions. Uh, Yes, I'm guilty of that. And uh, I still have to work on that because I frustrate my kids sometimes because they're trying to tell me something and I'll cut them off before they even finish. Let them tell you their side and explain what's going on before you cut them off. Uh... All right, I think I'm. I think that's about. Go to the next slide. Is that the end? Is there one more? Yeah. Um, that's that's basically it. Um, but do do remember this, fathers, that your children do belong to the Lord, and He loves them far more than you ever will. He cares about them, and He will get them where He wants them to be. And you need to trust him. Don't carry the weight of their salvation on your shoulders. That's God's job. And all you can do is pray. And, 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 and like I said, you know, parent your children. Teach them. Teach them what's right. Uh, the one thing that I can say for those of my children who aren't walking with the Lord... Like, um, they're upright citizens who know what's right and wrong and they do right and they work hard and they have a hard, a good work ethic and they're honest people. They're not, you know, like uh, triple axe murders as Lily likes to refer to people. <laughs> so even though they may not walk with the Lord at this moment and, you know, there's been signs like from my oldest son who's been like the hardest, I think, uh, there's been signs that he's at least thinking about it because he told me, he goes, I think I need to take my sons to church. And his wife is comes from a Christian family, and I believe she is a believer, but she's kind of been overpowered by his strong personality and, and has kind of cowered back. But um, I believe that he is moving towards the Lord. Uh, and, you know, all of this is to say that none of us have control over that. We just do our best, and God, I hate to say this, but God does the rest. So, anyway, so I hope that fathers, I hope this was a little bit of encouragement to realize that, you know, it's not all on your shoulders, and many fathers already know that, and that's great. So just keep doing what you're doing. And uh, those who don't have kids yet, or have young kids, just realize that, um, <clears throat> you know, they're, they belong to the Lord, not to you. Amen? All right. Thank you.